everyone. Welcome to Based on a True Story. I'm your host, Eric Smith. This week, I'm going to be airing another interview that I did last year, around the same time that I did the Joe Lally interview. Uh, It's with a friend of mine named Jeremy Bent. Jeremy is primarily a comedian. Um, He teaches uh, improv comedy at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Um, He performs a lot of improv and sketch comedy. Uh, but he's also a bass player. Um, he's played bass on a bunch of staged comedy shows in comedy bands. Um, so he has a, he's been you know learning and playing music about as long as he's been doing comedy. So I thought it'd be a fun conversation to talk to a somebody who plays bass as a hobby, as something that they they just find fun to do. Um, who's also involved in another creative outlet. We spent a lot of time talking about how he approaches comedy. Uh, how he thinks about comedy, his history, and then also how comedy and music intersect. Um, And I've personally found through doing some comedy of my own, especially group comedy forms like improv and sketch comedy, there's a lot of crossover in sort of, you know, the ways you approach the art forms. Uh, I find a lot of the lessons that I learned playing music were very applicable when I was trying to learn comedy uh, and vice versa. I think the two overlap a a lot. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. And also Jeremy is just a a really funny guy, very personable, very fun to talk to. So it was, it was just a treat to to sit down for a long time with him and talk about just different topics in our lives and find out about his history. And he had a lot of great thoughts, I think uh, on as somebody who's not like a, professional working gigging bass player he still had a a lot to say about playing bass about the role of the bass um and i i found it very interesting and it was very refreshing to talk to somebody who's not you know a a professional um because i mean i don't make a living from playing bass uh and so it was it was it was really nice to sit down with him uh he currently uh you can find him he's a host slash character on an improvised sci-fi podcast called mission to zix um, Zix is spelled Z-Y-X-X. You can find that at missiontozix.space. And uh, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Jeremy, thanks so much for doing this. Eric, glad to do it. Uh, Happy I, to be here. I've uh, In I've my been... own apartment. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And thank you for having a nice, cool apartment. Oh, you record, it, well, decided to record on the hottest day of the year. Very hot day. I have no plans to go outside today. <laughs> so. There's nothing I won't endure to bring people content or to talk about music and stuff. You're, you're a real uh, working man. <laughs> yeah. You're the Bruce Springsteen <laughs> of podcasting. That's what, that's what I like to say. I like to tell people I'm, like, <laughs> I'm the Bruce Springsteen of podcasting. Yeah, we're hoping that catches on. Yeah. Uh, I've been really excited for this conversation because I the, the, the premise of this whole show is that I'm just talking to bass players. Sure. I kind of see it as... Uh, it's funny you say the Bruce Springsteen because I was telling somebody I envisioned the podcast as sort of like... Have you ever read the book Working by Studs Terkel? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I kind of envision history, it. Yeah, yeah I, I sort of envision it like that where I was like... I there's so many podcasts in whatever field that they're in that they talk to the superstars of the field or yeah. only professionals and stuff like that. And that's fun. And you get a lot of yeah. cool insights and stuff. But I was sort of like, I just want to talk to as many bass players as will talk to me and just yeah. sort of get, just find out about the world of bass. Get players, the whole you know? spectrum. Yeah. yeah. And so I've been really excited to talk to you because 
you are a bass player I am. and you're a musician. But yeah, th- sort of. <laughs> but that's <laughs> yeah. not your main creative outlet. No, not really. Uh, and and we met through through the comedy world through yeah. the, through uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York. UCBC. Uh, yeah, doing like improv sketch comedy. Yeah, which is you know for <laughs> lack of a better option, my main gig. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I teach I teach improv at UCB. Um, I do some writing stuff. I do some voiceover stuff. Cool. All, but all of it pretty closely tied to the to the comedy world. Right. And did uh, did were you a musician before you started comedy? I actually don't think I think I did comedy before. Well, I guess I did music first, but not really. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, and we had a pretty good public school music program. Okay. Uh, Cool. We had a music teacher named Mr. B. He was like the youngest (laughs) teacher at our elementary school. He was very cool. (laughs) Yeah played guitar and everyone was like mr b's great and so i did (laughs) chorus in elementary school okay um and i think and i also took my family owned a clarinet i believe it was my great uncle's clarinet (laughs) um and my family had it restored and so when i was 10 i started taking private clarinet lessons wow and i was very bad sure mainly because i was not interested in playing the clarinet yeah it's very easy to be bad at the clarinet <laughs> <laughs> the clarinet is a, like the bar for entry on the clarinet is sort of high yeah it's pretty rough i'll say at the end of the year i was maybe okay at it uh-huh but i was still not good uh and the guy who i was taking lessons from Probably, for what it's worth, the only private clarinet teacher in Rhode Island <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine there's that many. Yeah. But my mom would drive me once a week, and I would go to this guy's house, and I sort of hated it because every time he would be sort of mad at me that I wasn't better at clarinet, <laughs> which, in his defense, he's right. I was not very good at it. And he played in, like, the Rhode Island Symphony Orchestra. Okay. Like, he, wow. this, this is a very serious <laughs> clarinet player. Yeah. And I think he sort of resented the fact that he had to teach like a 10 year old who was not super into the clarinet Uh how to play it. Yeah. Because I know he had other students because sometimes they would be there when I get there and they were like high school students who were like good at the clarinet. Right. Right. And like maybe thinking of going to school for music or at the very least trying out for like all state band or something. Sure. Whereas I'm just like this 10 year old goofball who's like, my mom says I got to do it. (laughs) Right. Um, So that after that, um, I did chorus elementary school, did the clarinet lessons. I played drums in seventh grade band because okay. I thought, oh, the drums are cool. I'll like sure. the drums. Everybody wants to play drums. But I didn't have a drum kit. <laughs> I would just play my practice pad, right. which is not fun. No. I think all drummers, drummers will admit that the practice pad sucks. And yeah. It's boring. It's, it's something you got to do. Yeah. And so I did a year of that and did not enjoy that. And so then I sort of, that was sort of my last musical thing for a long time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Did, so you didn't play in, in, in like music band in high school did, or anything like no. that? Uh, did you, were you? My brother was. My brother was a really good trumpet player. Oh, cool. Uh, and he was actually an all state band in Rhode Island, like mm-hmm. a, as a trumpet player. And oh, wow. He and two of his friends who also played trumpet uh, used to go around and play like, weddings and stuff just as like a trumpet trio <laughs> uh, and they had like i remember they had hats and shirts made at like a custom like 
you know embroidery place yeah. so that wow. they could like play events and they would have like a matching look wow yeah. that is so ambitious for high school they, yeah they were like <laughs> 18 19 when they did that and i was yeah. like wow but i know they played like three or four different like weddings or events oh or that's like cool that. yeah uh they probably made more money than i've ever made playing I music. Say, <laughs> i was like probably did okay yeah you know so you were you interested in in music in general or is it just sort of like after the drums you're just like you know what this is just isn't for me i think i think the real issue was i never i didn't really get into music until i was in college okay because i did not despite what i just said about my brother i did not come from a particularly musical family right uh my brother i don't know if he was he just has an affinity for it or he just put a lot more time into it probably a little of both yeah but he was always more into music. My high school had a radio station, and he was a DJ at the radio station. And I tried to be – I. Uh, there's a lot of history of me trying to do things that my brother did. <laughs> okay. Where, like – That's fair. He played trumpet, and so my parents were like, well, you can play clarinet. And I was like, okay. And I was like, I don't like this. Yeah. And he did the high school radio station, so I was like, well, maybe I'll try out for the radio station. And I was like, I don't really like this. <laughs> but then he did high school theater, and I was like, well, I'm going to try this. And I think I actually like that more than he liked that. Oh, wow. And okay. so he, he's a couple years older than me, so he graduated. And then I was just doing plays all the time. And then I, as a senior, went back to the high school radio station because my friend was the program director. Mm -hmm. And was like, what if I did a comedy show on the radio station? He's like, yeah, I mean, knock yourself out. It's like yeah. we're a high school radio station. <laughs> all we do, we have no original content. All we do is play music. <laughs> So, yeah, whatever you want. And so I would do like a Daily Show style, like satirical news piece. Oh, I, would, okay. I would write them myself and I would record them all in one batch. And so you'd hear five stories a week, mm -hmm. uh, a different one each day. And so it was just like a bumper that they could put in that wasn't an ad. That's like, oh, here's a fun thing. We'll yeah. But that was a good comedy writing experience for a 17 year old. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Were you? I, yeah, my friends and I, we just we made it's funny because when I so. I moved to New York when I was 30. Okay. I'm 33 now. Sure. So I moved I'm to New York. I'm 36. So okay, we're, cool. We're not yeah. That far. yeah. Yeah, not that far. I, and when I was, uh, I moved to New York when I was 30, I started doing improv sure. on a whim. Yeah. Literally, a friend was like, You should take an improv class. And I had just moved to New York. I lived in Alabama my whole life. Okay. And moved to New York. I was like, Yeah, okay. Like, I'll, <laughs> sure. Like, I got nothing else to do. <laughs> I got nothing else going on. Like, I moved to New York because I wanted to be a musician and I wanted to like try to do something. And I was just like, sure. Like I'll try anything new. Like I don't, I don't really know anyone up here. That's like, sort of why I started taking improv in New York. Really? Cause I, well, I had done comedy stuff in high school and then I was in a sketch group that I was really, uh, deeply committed to in college. Okay. And then when I moved to New York, I was like, well, I got to meet some new people to do sketch with. Yeah. Because I didn't really know anyone in New York. There was one guy from my college sketch group, uh, and he was – was he interning for Conan at that time? He was, like, really busy with something. So I was like, i got to find some other people to do sketch with, so I'll take improv classes, and I'll meet people to do sketch right. with. Right. Because at that time, UCB didn't even have a sketch program. Oh, okay, yeah. And also, when they introduced the sketch program, I was like, I know how to write sketch. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Which is maybe a little pompous. Me, but, you know, you spend four years doing it. You're like, I got it. Yeah. But what was funny was when I started, when I started doing improv, I was like, "Oh, I've never done comedy before. I've never acted. I'm not a a performer or anything like that." And, but I, but like, was I made like comedy videos in high school? Oh yeah, my friends would just Absolutely. we would just my friends and I were such 
nerds. Like what we yeah. would do on the weekend was go to my friend's house, not drink. Yeah. Oh no. And make just awful comedy video. We d- we were really into doing parodies. Yeah. We would just like make not even like pointed parodies. We would just make bad versions of existing movies. <laughs> we're like, let's just let's just redo the plot for the Matrix, but make it as stupid as possible. <laughs> just with no real meaning behind it no real like it didn't have like you know a real like point to it we weren't mocking anything in particular it's just like we're just gonna redo the matrix as bad as possible you know and that's what sounds fun (laughs) we did that after our senior prom after our after our senior prom me and uh we had like this little circle of friends that week we were we were like together from like seventh grade till we graduated high school Uh And we were like, after a senior prom, like, let's just go back to our friend's house in our tuxes and make a James Bond movie at like three o'clock in the morning, deliriously tired. You know, it's just like, yeah. that's what we did. And I, it, so it's, I think because we're close to the same age, it yeah. feels like I know a lot of people that did that. It seems yeah. like there was a lot of people doing stuff like that. My, a couple friends of mine and I, we made a lot of like stop motion videos in our basement, okay. like claymation kind of stuff. Yeah. Cause I had a friend who was a pretty good artist and I sort of had a cinematic bent and I like, I was like, oh, I'll work the camera and you can like do the animation. Right. And like, we had a couple of videos that were like pretty like kind of cool. And I was like, <laughs> but then it's like, I, I don't know, maybe they're on a tape at my parents' house right. somewhere. But really, if I looked at it now, I was like, I probably could have gone to a film school on the strength. <laughs> like, I was just like, yeah, it's just me goofing around. But they would have seen that and been like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, yeah, come on. Yo, you know, like, right. Didn't ever thought about that. <laughs> you know, I was like, didn't even make sense. Yeah. And so when when did you when did you start music again? Or when did you start playing? So bass? when I went to college, I got like I said, I got involved in a sketch group. Yeah. They're uh, I went to Boston University. They were called the Slow Children of Play. Okay. Uh, very creative name. Uh, it, but, like, by the time I joined the group, it had already been ex- in existence for, like, four or five years. So, I was like, the name was set. And right. I think that group is still going. Really? Which is wild. Because right. now that group is c- probably close to 25 years old. <laughs> is this, a c- like, a, a university-affiliated group? Yeah. We were a, an official student group. And, like, we got money from the university. Oh, wow. And we would hold auditions at the beginning of every school year. <laughs> Um, living the dream of making money at comedy <laughs> it, we actually as a student group we actually made a lot of money <laughs> because we would just do one huge show every year okay and we would pay for it you had to pay the university to rent the space right like they would give you money but then you would have to give it back to the university <laughs> sure which is fun like i get it yeah. it's like facilities people have to clean it up right. and so it was like i i understand yeah um but we would also charge admission for our show mm-hmm. But we would, our mission would be like three bucks. But right. we would get these spaces that could seat like 400 people. <laughs> and like we only have one show every semester. So all of us would just bully everyone we knew and be like, you have to come to the show. Yeah. But we also, by the time I graduated, had a reputation as being a pretty funny group. And th- and this is yeah. before YouTube. Oh, sure. You know? Sure. So like if you wanted to see some teenagers do some <laughs> funny stuff, there was no other option. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. You had to come watch our show. And so we did pretty well, uh, and it was really fun. But a couple of the guys in that group were really into, like, indie music. Okay. And Like any good college student. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, I sort of wasn't. I'm trying to remember what I was listening to before I met those guys. And I was like, 
I, I like they might be giants because I was sort of a nerdy teenager, sure. so it's like everyone kind of gets <laughs> into them at some point. Right. What's crazy is they're still going and like they're still pretty good. Yeah, they're great. Um, I I, lo- I listened to like a lot of the '90s like alt rock stuff, of sure. like Bush, right? And like like I think that was one of the first albums I bought on CD was Sixteen Stone, uh-huh. which you know I listen to now and I'm like, well, that's not bad. No, it's <laughs> not terrible. It's like no, pretty it's good. Just, yeah, um, it's not something I'd I'd put on, but. It's like, you know, you listen to like the hits and you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. Everything is in. <laughs> um, but a couple of those guys had really good taste in music. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them made a mixtape or mix CD of he, this, his sort of, he used to do this every year, but this is the one I remember getting. Uh, and he called it, it was Crunch Berries 2003 <laughs> was the name of the mix CD. And he gave it to me. And like a bunch of the songs on there, I was just like, what is this? Yeah. Uh, and it's a bunch of bands that I actually still listen to. I'm trying to think what was on there. Like Broken Social Scene was on there. Okay, sure. Cause, uh, and it was uh, Anthem for a 17-Year-Old Girl. Right. Which is like a great song. Great song. But also then, you know, this is 2003. So then I just went on, not Napster because Napster was gone. Uh-huh. But I went on Soul Seek, which sure. my girlfriend at the time introduced me to. And I got like a bunch of their albums and like, man, who else was on that mix CD? It was a lot of good stuff. Yeah. It's funny thinking back to those, that era of like music downloading. Yeah. Cause I think just like everyone had viruses all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, just, yeah. I, have, I used really. LimeWire when oh, I was Lime in high Wire school. Was <laughs> like, man, you li- wouldn't even, half the time you wouldn't get the song you wanted. <laughs> named something totally different. And then also your computer stopped working. <laughs> right. Like LimeWire and Kazaa were like, "You're fucked, dude." What yeah. are you gonna do? <laughs> it's funny. Th- it, it's funny you mentioned Broken Social Scene. I was just thinking about them the other because I listened to them when I was like in college too. Yeah. And then recently, last year, I went to see Nico Case at the Beacon Theater. Yeah. And I was just like looking around, being like, "I, I, it's a hundred percent deserved." But it's just wild thinking about how famous Nico Case has gotten, and it just yeah. It's well, she just, wasn't on Broken Social Scene. Oh, wait, what she's new pornographer new pornographer which yes. i who i also was introduced to around that same time broken social scene had feist, feist yeah. yes okay, oh my yeah, God. yeah i can't believe different canadian shunters roasted for <laughs> yeah, mixing right. those up so bad but both of those i mean had but arguably famous like, both of those part of a band that is also successful yes. and then very successful just in their unbelievably own unbelievably right. famous but yeah. i yeah i just like it, it's just it's just cool to see yeah. You know, see people that like oh, totally in, in bands like that you listen to. And, and, you know, part of the reason I guess you would be listening to them at that point is because they were popular. Like, yeah. it's, it's oh, not yeah. like they were like super underground bands, but, you no. know, they're indie rock. They're kind of relegated to this like niche market or whatever. <laughs> but it, it's just cool to see people like that become wildly famous. Yeah. Well, so now I'm remembering that album a little more now. OK. And the other bands on there that I I still listen to and still really like. um fiery furnaces was on oh, there yeah. and it was like that first gallows bird bark had just oh, come out yeah. and like that album's great great album and then the other one that was on there was arcade fire mm, sure and so like and then that first album is uh, funeral is like that's a fucking terrific album. oh amazing record uh, and so like those are sort of three bands i caught like right before they broke really big yeah and i was like oh yeah this stuff is great like why don't they play this stuff on the radio mm-hmm. and then i sort of realized like oh the radio is garbage <laughs> right, <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. Uh, like college radio is still i think plays cool interesting stuff sure 
Um, but like mainstream radio is terrible. Yeah. A- and if anything is worse now. Yeah. It's like, it's really bad. I remember when I first moved to New York, uh, I temped for like the first year and a half I was here. Okay. And I had one job specifically at David Yerman, the jewelry company. Okay. And I was just working in their corporate office doing like spreadsheet stuff. Cause like if you knew Excel, you could always get temp work. And right. I was like, Oh, that's not so bad. Sure. But I worked in that office and some woman would just play like, it was just like some top 40 station, but literally mm-hmm. every two hours, it would just be the same songs <laughs> oh, you yeah. heard for the previous two mm-hmm. hours. And you were mm-hmm. like, how can you stand this? <laughs> this is horrible. Yeah. But by that point, so like once I, I sort of got introduced to these bands and started like diving into music on my own, you know, you listen to those. You know, what was actually a big resource for me as a music fan was, uh, do you know the website All Music? Yeah. It was just like discographies and like. Right it was sort of like an imdb but for bands Mm -hmm. but what was big for me was oh i would hear bands that i liked i would go on there i would look at their discography and be like oh they've got these other albums right i'm gonna check these out and you could see like all music would have their own star rating that were generally pretty accurate to Mm -hmm. like how good the album was they would also have like you know member ratings right but the all music rating was generally pretty good. And it was like a four or five star album. It was probably going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then you would also see like, oh, here's this band's influences. Oh, sure. And and that to me was like, oh, you're telling me this band sounds like a band that already exists. Right. And I just had no idea because <laughs> like my parents uh, and I don't mean to be cruel about this. Don't really listen to music. Right. Right. Um. So, like, I just wasn't exposed to very much growing up. That's even, re- oh. even like, classic stuff that you would assume I would have heard, I hadn't. Yeah, that's a fascinating phenomenon to yeah. me. Because for the longest time, I would always be like, yeah, everybody listens to music. Like, that's... It's it, it, not but it's not actually true. true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like, I hadn't... I, like, I knew the Beatles, and, like, we had... Beatles right. albums, but I don't remember really listening to them growing up. Sure. The only band I really remember listening to growing up was the Beach Boys. Okay. You had a bunch of Beach Boys tapes. Right. And I remember listening to those. But other than that. worse. I, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, <laughs> it's not that bad. But like, they, I don't think my parents even owned like no, no classic rock, like no Led Zeppelin or That's anything like that. Yeah. Like no Hendrix, no Stones, nothing like that. They didn't really have any of that like 70s um like am gold kind of stuff like uh you know like fleetwood mac or or carpenters or like anything that was like in that range they my parents just have very they don't listen to a lot of music and then the taste that they have is weird sure (laughs) Um, so you so before sort of this introduction through this guy making like mixtapes and stuff you would you weren't i guess necessarily like a big music nerd no, I had I had bands that I liked. Sure, and like I had been to concerts. Right, right. But I, I wasn't I wasn't like huge into music. Were no. you a comedy nerd? He, wildly. Okay. Yeah. okay. I was I was also a very traditional nerd in that mm-hmm. I liked Star Trek, right, and right. Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> sure. But I was honestly uh, of all my nerddom, like my comedy nerdery is probably the strongest. Gotcha. I mean, I'm just looking over at my DVD collection. It's right. like. There's my Monty Python. There's sure. my Marx Brothers collection. There's my State, The Critic. Uh huh. It's just like all comedy stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Y- yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Monty Python was big for me in high school. <sighs> that Man. was when I was talking about like my friends like making videos. I think it was because of Monty Python because it was Monty Python was like 
I watched. I was not really a big comedy nerd. I liked yeah. comedy, but it was more like I liked watching Comedy Central. Or yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, and then, absolutely. And then so I remember being a really big fan of The Critic. Critic is a very <laughs> that's funny a great show. show. Uh, I remember being, but it was more. Yeah, it was more just like in very like an opposite way of the way I approach music because I got really lucky when I was in like middle school and my dad sort of like. I was I was mainly just a guy who like listened to the radio, listened to a lot of like, I liked metal or like alternative music, sure, but it was yeah. mostly like whatever was on the radio. Yeah, so, right, you know, yeah same popular, for me. Popular like alternative music or whatever, and then my dad just like very offhand like gave me a, a Ramones and a Sex Pistols CD, and you know I blame him for ruining my life ever <laughs> since then. Uh, but you know, yeah. but but so from then on, it was more like. I was actively seeking, like looking on the internet or talking to other people or um, uh, uh, an analog version of all music is we used to like go to CDs and you would look at the liner notes of the CD and see yeah. who the band thinks. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, this band likes these bands. So now I got to listen to these yeah, bands. Okay. And it's just like constantly like scouring for records. But with comedy or like really any sort of like like acting, you know, any sort of like visual medium, it was more just like, yeah, I like watching this. But when my friend showed me uh my python and the holy grail that was sort of like oh this is amazing and also like i didn't know you could do this i didn't that, know you could just be yeah. as stupid as possible not understanding what all was going on and there was actually incredibly well written and like well executed it was more just like oh these guys are just being stupid on screen and you can do that i feel like a lot of comedy nerds have some watershed moment the first time they encounter monty python now i think is a kind of old yeah. example but like because students i have now will i think the first time they see like mr show or oh, like yeah. or key and peel or mm-hmm. something like that where it's like <clears throat> a sketch that is aggressively aggressively dumb like a <laughs> really stupid sketch that is played so straight yeah that like you're already laughing just at the absurdity right. of the situation and then it's also really well written and heightens to like such a fun yeah, somehow a copy of a Holy Grail got into our house <laughs> at some point when I was in middle school. Yeah. And my brother was like, oh, have you seen this? And I was like, no, what is this? He's like, you're going to like this. <laughs> and I probably watched Holy Grail maybe like 20 or 30 times that summer because uh-huh. I was like, what is this? <laughs> and I showed all my friends and all my friends were like, oh, my God, this is so funny. So we would just watch it all the time. Yeah. I I just recently uh, was showing a friend a lot of old Stella clips. Oh man! And I was I remember it had been a it's not something that I rewatch regularly, so it had been a little while since I'd watched a lot of those old sketches. And I was trying to show it to him, and I was like, I don't know what is happening. Yeah, (laughs) some of the stuff is truly wild, like nuts. (laughs) But some of them are like just induce like paralysis yeah of how funny they are. <laughs> yeah but what's interesting is i think there's a fun analog in that i think discovering like punk music or any sort of like alternative music was very similar to me in that every time there's like a new band it's that same sort of excited feeling of like i didn't know you could do that I didn't know you can make something sound this way and or i didn't know that this would make me feel this way there, I there's having been in comedy for so long, but also having done music as well. There's so many parallels between how music creating it works, listening to it, 
or or the industry of it works as there are to comedy and entertainment. Yeah. Of like everybody knows Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. right? It's like everybody knows Top 40 Radio. Right. And like there's good stuff in both of those. Like there's SNL sketches that I love. Yeah. And there's like Top 40 hits. I'm like, I like that song. I think that's good. <laughs> yeah. But I also think it's like when you discover comedy stuff on your own or when you discover music on your own and you're like, oh, why don't they, why isn't this stuff on <laughs> SNL or like why isn't this on Top 40 Radio? And you're like, it's because a bunch of people don't get it or don't like it. Yeah. And you're just like, well, why not? It's great. And it's like, well, it's great for you. And like, that's the whole thing is like, you got to find that stuff that resonates with you. Yeah. Yeah. That has been some of the best moments of my time so far in New York. It's just being in like in theaters or whatever. Just, you know, really like belly laughing at something and and, and just discovering something for the first time. And it is very similar. It's a a different feeling, but it's analogous to that feeling of listening to a band for the first time or or something like that. It's close. And and uh, like so like there's that industry side of it but there's also the actual like performance side of music and improv that i think like almost every quote about improvising music and a lot of quotes about jazz can 100 percent apply to improv comedy yeah totally that that's actually that's this has like been like the biggest reason i've been looking forward to this combo because <laughs> that's what i wanted to talk about is just like the relation between the two because yeah i had a really funny moment where when i first started you know, I started taking classes and then I was like practicing outside of class and uh, our mutual friend, Katie Healy Wordsburg yes. was coaching my practice group for, mm-hmm. for improv. And I remember being so frustrated for like the first year of doing improv. Yeah. And I was so like, just, co- just completely frustrated the whole time. And I remember complaining to her one time and I was like, this is so hard. I'm not an actor. I've never performed. I'm 30. Like, you know, I don't yeah. have this background that yeah, all these yeah. other people do. And she was like, well, and I and I remember saying, like, I'm not a performer. And she was like, yeah, but you're a musician. And I was like, that is not the same. And I, and at the time, I was ardent. I was like, it's not the it's same. Totally different, right? I was like, yeah. when I go on stage to play music, like, I don't even think about the audience. I just get on stage, and I pick up the bass, and I just play, and I'm, like, connecting with the people on stage. And she was like, yeah, that's what yeah. you're supposed to be doing here. <laughs> She's like, yeah, listen to what you just said. <laughs> yeah. That's the advice and you it need. Took me, I mean, it's honestly probably taken me two years since then to get what she was saying yeah it, it's that but it, it for me it was the same thing coming to music yeah when i first like so at some point during that uh college point where i got that mix cd and i started sort of looking at bands on my own i was like i bet i could do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so i bought a bass guitar in the middle of my senior year of college and uh before we get into the rest okay, of the story right, i would yeah. love to just find out at this point was there a particular reason you picked up the bass? Is there, was it just like, I want to be in a band that seems like the easiest thing to do? I think that was it. But I also am like, I'm a, we're both tall guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I'm six foot four. I also have like a monster's hands. <laughs> like, uh, like yeah. anytime you do the like hand to hand comparison <laughs> with another person, I can usually fold my entire <laughs> right. top. Yeah. Like I just have big hands and like I had, like i tried to play guitar sometimes like anytime a keyboard is like not full scale keys I'm oh like, yeah oh, fucking <laughs> yeah, like, i can it? barely play it yeah and so i was sort of like the guitar seemed a little intimidating because i just knew that like you had to like get oh, your yeah. hand it was it's hard it's tricky uh for somebody with really big hands i mean i have a guitar now and i i am like passable at guitar yeah but when i picked up a bass i was sort of like okay uh-huh. I, I think i can do this yeah and so I was sort of teaching myself 
for like a year uh and i was pretty bad <laughs> sure sure um and then right before i moved to new york my friend who also played but was better than me gave me like oh you should take this like instructional manual right that was like a very intro to bass sort of manual mm-hmm. and i remember just sort of going through it and i was like okay uh-huh all right and that's you know when i corrected a lot of my bad habits sure. of like uh you know just playing with one finger uh-huh. uh or and like not using my pinky on oh the, yeah you know it's like so it's like well it's hard and it's like yeah yeah, yeah but practice it right and it's fine <laughs> um and so i was i was sort of okay for a while uh but at, in that time i had moved to new york and then in 2000 okay this would have been 2008 okay um i still had never really played on stage right but the there was a sketch group called the Apple Sisters. <laughs> okay. And they were like the Andrews Sisters, but like really subversive and weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you, did you watch Glow? Yeah, yeah. So you know the two uh, women who play like, the, at first they're the old biddies. Like the oh, two, yeah. And then they they become like toxic weight, right? <laughs> right, yeah, They yeah, steal yeah. Sunita Mani's idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, those are two of the Apple sisters. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, it's Rebecca Johnson and Kimmy Gatewood. And then cool. Sarah Lowe is the third one. I think she's in Las Vegas. Like she was in the Las Vegas production of Jersey Boys. Oh, for, okay. Like, yeah. Years. So they, they did this really funny show and they wanted to have a live band playing their like 40s style music. Oh, cool. They wanted an upright bass player, but they posted online of like, hey, we're looking for someone. And I was like, hey, I'm not that good, <laughs> but I will. I don't need money. <laughs> and like, that was sort of the magic of like, yeah, I'll do it for free. I don't mind. Yeah. Because um, I was just sort of interested in like doing it. That was the one leg up I felt like I had starting comedy was like I've I've been performing for no money for years. Yeah. Like I've so been playing music for no money it. for years. <laughs> And everybody else yeah. is freaking out about not getting paid. Right. And I'm like, I, if I get paid, it's a bonus. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like, you know, there's so many arguments in comedy of like, you should be paying comedians. Like, Listen, I totally agree we're paying comedians. But like, don't argue with the comedians about it. Right. Talk to the, like, you got to talk to the venues. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Anyway. Um, so I, so I played bass in mm-hmm. the show. I don't think I did that great a job, but I will say, my bass playing went from like medium beginner yeah. to like I made that jump into like oh I can sort of play now okay cool uh, and I felt by the end of that show because that show ran for like two and a half months in the summer of two thousand eight and I remember by the end of that show I was like oh I'm like not bad now yeah and you know the the band was this guy uh, Jeff who was a very good piano player. And then me and this other guy, Dan, who was also an improviser who played drums. Okay. And like, no, I think Jeff was getting paid, but Dan and I weren't. Um, and I'm, not, I'm honestly not even sure Jeff was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the end of that summer, we're like, Hey, we sound pretty good for like a cheap <laughs> band. We were like, Hey, not bad. Yeah. And that sort of encouraged me to be like, Oh, maybe I'm not totally terrible at music. Like right. maybe I, I just needed to put more time into it. Yeah. Do you think it was – do you think you got better just from having some sort of obligation, having yeah. something to do? I, I think the best thing you can do for yourself if you want to learn anything – I'm talking comedy, I'm talking music, I'm talking how to write, I, like anything. 
and and creative things or or you know like if you want to learn how to be a woodworking yeah you know person <laughs> that's right, not the right. name for that <laughs> carpenter yeah the best thing you can do is like well okay so make a time once a week and do it yeah because that's what it was we had to practice the show like once a week for like two months before it started and then we would also practice it while the show was running mm -hmm. and it was the same thing with improv like i took classes and then when i got to 401 i joined a practice group yeah and that practice group met every sunday for like two straight years right and it's like that is how you get better at something yeah <laughs> if and, you just have to do it and i'm a firm believer in because i'm i have this like constant mental block where i'm like anytime i'm starting something new or even if I'm, it's something i'm good at but i'm yeah. just like starting a, like a new musical project yeah i'm just constantly like it's not ready it's not ready it's yeah, not ready yeah, yeah. and i have found that like as as hard as it is to get over it just like booking a show and just like making yourself do it yeah. is so good and it is so hard yeah and it is nerve-wracking yeah. you know and and you know i still get nervous doing shows and stuff uh -huh. like that but it's like yeah just having some sort of obligation or putting on a show even if the show doesn't go well it's just like getting out of there and doing it is such a good like mental step this I, so i work with practice groups you know in improv a lot yeah and i'm always like you guys got any shows coming up? And a lot of groups I coach were like have a monthly show or a weekly show or something. And I'm like, great, good. How'd it right. go? And we'll talk about it. And then, excuse me, some groups I work with don't do shows. And those groups don't get a lot better. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, sure, you can like practice in isolation as long as you want. But right. eventually you have to like acid test what you do. Yeah. And like, put it in front of an audience and if they're like boo or they don't mm -hmm. laugh then you haven't then you haven't done it enough yet right right and you got to keep working on it <laughs> until they don't do that <laughs> right right like thank you robot which is my uh independent improv group that we've been we've been doing shows for like almost 13 years at this it's point, amazing it's hugely inspiring for me when i first moved to the city oh thank you yeah i came to a show right after i moved here and i was like this is great you know it well for us it was like we had been a practice group and doing other people's shows for like a year, year and a half. And then an opportunity came up to like, oh, we could get our own show. Mm -hmm. And then when we got it, it was twice a month. And we were like, let's do it. Yeah. And we did it. And we did a twice a month show for like a year or two. And so that's like, what, 100 shows yeah. basically? Yeah. That's like, or no, that's not right. 50 shows. Sure. But like those 50 shows that we put together. Right. And, like, it was reasons for us to keep practicing. Right. And, like, yeah, it was time. It was money. But that's how you – if you want to get better at the thing, that's how you do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, like, you know, I don't know. Really throwing yourself into the fire. You got – you have to do it. I and remember it, you telling a really hilarious story on the UCB podcast about performing in a Mexican restaurant. Oh God. This is – that's a sort of famous uh, <laughs> thing you wrote at story where it's, like, we were just trying to get this is before we had the monthly show we were right. just trying to get stage time wherever we could and somehow we talked to this mexican restaurant into letting us do it and then when we came back to do the show they didn't remember or whoever <laughs> we had talked to wasn't there and they were like i guess we can move some tables which is like now there's a comedy and music <laughs> a crossover yeah if anyone says i guess we can move some tables yeah, and you can perform just, there don't do the show just, 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 don't just say you know what forget <laughs> it we'll have some nachos thanks uh -huh. don't don't worry about it yeah uh because it was terrible but mm -hmm. it's also like 
doing terrible shows is important to do. Yeah. Like you can't get better at something if like every time I do it, I'm amazed. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I had a, we had a similar experience when my old surf rock band which I know one of the reasons we met in Bond is because you're a huge fan of surf Big rock. Surf rock guy. Yeah. So I, one, my old surf rock band, we played one time. There was like the surf rock festival in Douglasville, Georgia, and we played it one year. And it's like it's, it's like this like it's like a a straight up just like city like a town festival cool. like in the town square. It's like the whole town. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they just like they set up in like this like courtyard in the in those sort of like downtown district. It. And this one guy would book a bunch of surf bands. And it was in the middle of the day, you know, children's activities, face painting, all that stuff. This sounds great. Yeah. So we played it one year. And it was it was fine, but it was sort of like my old band was more like kind of aggressive and kind of punk and, yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. Because there is that element of surf that like is sort of like, oh, this is like a psycho surf band, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. We were you know, real fast, real yeah, heavy. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. are other surf bands. Very melodic, oh, very yeah, gentle. Very chill, yeah. very like, you know, playing Wipeout and, uh -huh, you know, yeah. and and Pipeline and all that I was going to say, I was like, Wipeout, whoa, 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 yeah. let's <laughs> calm it down here. Yeah, it's like but yeah, Pipeline but, penetration, yeah, stuff exactly. that's like very yeah. mellow. Playing and, all these yeah. really chill songs. And that's great, you know, for like a daytime event. And people, it's funny because I think when I tell people I used to be in a surf rock band, I a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about. It's yeah. like play them a song. They're like, oh yeah, I like that. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I the Pulp Fiction theme song. That's the thing. Like it's like you like play Miserly and everyone's like, oh yeah, no, that stuff's good. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so we played that one year, and it was like, all right, this is cool, like whatever. But like the, the next year, we were like, they invited us back, and we were like, ah, you know, it's cool. I love the event. I don't know that it works for us exactly. Sure. I don't think the crowd likes it as much. <laughs> you know, we yeah. were like wearing costumes, playing all this really like fast, aggressive yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, well, they were they wanted people in Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So we were like, they asked us back, and we were like, you know, this is great. We want to play, but I don't know that this works for your event. But they used to do like an after party at this like bar next door. Okay. And we were yeah. like, this is great. Like, let's book the like three like heaviest, you know. You know, most punk rock bands will play a night show at this bar. There you go. Then all the people who want to see us can come over. All the families can stay. Can go home. You know, the go face home. painter can. Yeah, like exactly. Maybe yeah. Bounce for the day. So, but for I don't know. I still to this day don't know exactly what happened. But <laughs> the festival went on. We were there. It was yeah. great. And then we walked over to the bar, and I, we showed up. And we we're like, hey, we're here to play this thing. And they're like, yeah, cool. And then we set up, and it's we played one note. And the bartender walked over and was like, that's way too loud. Oh, boy. And I was like, <laughs> we were invited to play here. <laughs> like, And what's funny was we were a pretty notoriously loud band. And yeah. We were aware of that. So for that show specifically, we brought the quietest setup I've ever played. I was playing like just this 100 watt amp uh -huh. i was playing like basically we were playing on practice instruments just playing on like three yeah you know, yeah we just like, like turned right. out we were like and it, we were like okay okay so we turned it down even more and then it's like we started trying to try another song and the bartender walked over again and was like yeah you, you can't play so wow. <laughs> we yeah we after <sighs> after it was booked and i don't What's funny was like afterwards, like the partner was like, "Yeah, usually we just have like acoustic acts play here or whatever." And I was like, "But you asked us to play. Yeah, like, like what? this I, was this booked. wasn't our idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was all set up ahead of time. Yeah. We didn't just show up and yeah. play. Like, so it was yeah, yeah, stuff like that happens all the time. Yeah. I think. And comedy is like, I haven't done a ton of those shows, but there have been times where it's just like, did you you were aware something was happening, like, or yeah. like you know, or just like. Uh, what's more common in music is like you're playing a bar and it's like 
but it's not really a show. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. we have all these people that come to the bar, and you will play for them. For them. But they don't know a show is going <laughs> to Yeah, happen. exactly. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're not paying to get into a show. They're just coming to hang out at the bar. You will be the entertainment. Yeah. Which I think happens in comedy sometimes, but I think it would just feel would feel like death. I think, I think like, that's a more common stand-up thing. Okay, Of, yeah. like, showing up to a bar, and it's like, yeah, it's our comedy night. And it's like, does anyone know? Is there a stage or anything? And they're like, no, no, we'll give you a microphone. And I was like... <laughs> Uh, it doesn't happen so much with improv right because like improv is like six people like goofing around in a very <laughs> earnest way yeah and so like you kind of can't do it without people being like what is going on yeah you need <laughs> and, people to be on board a little bit before yeah you start. and so but i will say I, I think the more common thing with improv is playing venues that have very small audiences or are just not meant to have performances right in. right um the first year Thank You Robot was around, we did a ton of shows because our friends, this other group, had a show, a regular show at this space called Rafifi, mm-hmm. which is gone now, but used to be this really cool stand-up venue Yeah, because it had this tiny, the stage was like a postage stamp. It was very <laughs> small. And so to do improv on it was sort of like an acrobatic feat yeah. to get six people on this tiny, tiny stage. But we would do it at like 6 p.m. on a Wednesday because <laughs> we were like, we got to do it. Yeah. Um. And I think that is the more common scenario in sure. improv of just like, let's, this library wants us to do. <laughs> Here's a story. Um, so I was dating somebody at the time and their friend worked at a hospital. Okay. And they thought it would be nice for April Fool's Day to do a comedy show <laughs> for people in the hospital to come and enjoy. Like Patch Adams. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. There's something like, yeah, that yeah. could be nice. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was going to go with her and some of our friends to like go do this comedy show at this hospital. Then we get there, and what we found out is that it's the spinal injury ward of this <laughs> oh hospital. God. So it's people who are paralyzed <laughs> and literally cannot leave the show. Oh, my God. And so we do a show. We did a whole hour-long improv set oh my for God. this ward in the hospital. <laughs> I don't – it was hard to tell how it was going. But, you know, that is just one of those things where you're like, we said yes – Let's do the show. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I hope somebody appreciated us being there because we were sort of like, should we not do this? Mm-hmm. And then we were like, nah, we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. And so after this 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 sketch show that you did where you're the live band. The Apple Sisters, you, yeah. Yeah, so after the Apple Sisters, did you – so what was next? Did you keep playing, like, comedy music? I or? think, like – uh, I'm trying to like, like, what was I doing? At, oh, okay. So here's sort of what came next after that. So after I did that show, I a little bit, because, you know, it's a comedy show, but I'm also playing music. Right. So comedy people I know would see the show and be like, oh, you also play. And I'm like, yeah. 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 Like, I'm a guy who plays bass. Yeah. Right. Um, And so then, uh, I can't remember how long after, but uh, this group called Tesla. Okay. Um which is a lot of improvisers who now are, are very well known. Like Sean Diston was on that group and okay. John Timothy and like yeah. a lot of people you'd recognize from the UCB scene. It was a, it was sure. a very good group. Um, they thought it would be fun to have a live band at the show. Right. And so they were, they sort, sort of put together the band, but they needed a bass player. And so somebody told the guy who's putting together a band like, Hey, you know, this guy plays bass. And I was like, they asked me and I was like, I'm in. And, uh, we were like pretty much everybody in that band was a better musician. <laughs> <than> I was <laughs> sure. 
but that's another thing that's like oh playing with people who are better than you like i got better playing with those yeah guys. of course and so we did like four or five of their shows i think and then either they were like oh we're gonna change out the band or something but i stopped playing with them but i sort of like learned a little bit more and then i think like the next thing that really pushed me forward was was this 2012 when this happened no it would be later than that. i don't remember exactly mm-hmm. but they started doing the um the seriously are you ready to rock show yeah yeah this was kind of a bummer this is like kind of going away right as i started I know, doing yeah, comedy it's a bummer yeah so uh, achilles samadalaki and uh matt star put together a show called seriously are you ready to rock mm-hmm. which was a uh, a battle of the bands but no no pros allowed it could only be uh amateur musicians right, right. and also by this time a professional bass player had joined the comedy scene yes uh this guy matt rubano great mm-hmm. guy yeah i think i'm gonna interview him for the show i i, I would yeah. highly recommend it um I'm sure he'd love to to chat. Yeah. But he used to play bass for Taking Back Sunday mm-hmm. and All American Rejects. Yeah. And he was now like trying to do improv and, right. and did improv very successfully. Now he's playing with Glassjaw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like his bass career sort of bounced back. Yeah. He just <laughs> so did. Uh, he just did a full run like touring with Dear, Dear Evan Henson. Yeah. Like, he's, he's fine. He's, yeah. He's doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> he's doing yeah. all right. But he also got to be a very good improviser. Yes. Yeah. yeah so yeah. he was playing bass for Matt and and Achilles they were sort of the host band and Mm -hmm. the idea was that comedians would put together bands and play three song sets and then the audience like a classic battle of bands would vote on who was the best right and the prize was you get to play wonderwall okay (laughs) yeah Um, yeah and so immediately i immediately got asked to be in three different bands (laughs) because like you know there's always people who play guitar yeah because like there's always people who sing Drum, I'm amazed that drums is more common than bass, but like it does seem to be more. There's more drummers than bass. Players. I think it's like it's one of those things where like, if I, I was just thinking about this because I think it's so interesting that you're not a, I mean you're a musician, but you're not a guy who's like pursuing a music career no, per se. No, and I what I find really interesting is that like, as somebody who is a hobbyist musician, and I don't say that in a derogatory no, 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 way, you're but one hundred percent accurate. As somebody who's like a hobbyist musician. It seems strange to pick up the bass. It, I'll agree. You're not yeah. wrong. And 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 because it, it's I, not it's, a solo instrument, right? Yeah, that's. What, I was thinking about that earlier, and that's one of the reasons I'm I'm so fascinated to talk to like hobbyist bassists, people who yeah. are not making a career out of it. Because it's like, I think that's why drums is more popular because everybody wants to play the drums. Yeah. If it's not like a fun. career, yeah. You know, if you're not having to pay like a thousand dollars a year for new drums and yeah. stuff, you know, it's like. The drums are the cool instrument. You the know? drums are cool. The guitar is cool. Yeah. Singing is cool if you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> bass is sort of not known as a cool instrument. Yeah. And it is like a support instrument. Right. I mean, there are bands where it's like just bass players. but Sure, sure. I mean, and there are cool bass. I mean, Lemmy is like the, one of the more like, famous bassists. Sure. You know, like, and like, there are cool bassists. But, it's, but by and large, it's like if you were some other creative person, yeah. and you're like, I just want to be a musician just for fun. It's hard for me to imagine picking up a bass and be yeah. like yeah this is what i'm gonna do for fun is like you know you know do a walking bass line or like yeah, you know right sit in the background a little bit and like just kind of help support the rest of the band yeah but again that's also a very improv mentality totally right of yeah like oh, i don't necessarily need to be front and center i'm right. interested in being part of this ensemble yes absolutely so i got the first person that asked me was andy bustillos okay and so I said yes, and then two other people <laughs> asked me, and I was like, I don't think I can because I'm right. playing in this other band. Yeah, I actually did end up 
doing Battle of the Bands again with a different band. Okay. Um, but this first one, and we decided this, the term fuckboy had just sort of like come into the lexicon. Yeah, yeah. And so we were like, wouldn't it be, let's call ourselves the fuckboys. And immediately, a- Andy was in a bunch of bands as a teenager. Yeah, that's what I heard. And yeah. like, is a pretty good singer within these sort of like emo hardcore sort right. of style yeah and also can play guitar and play drums gotcha um so he had a lot of equipment he was ready to do this mm-hmm. and he put together like a pretty good band it was me and him he was singing i was playing bass right. and then uh keaton patty and curtis rutherford playing guitar okay both guys who i think grew up taking lessons that like curtis is a very good like classical guitar player yeah yeah uh, and then Marshall Stratton on drums, who is also quite good at the drums. Yeah. And very early on, we decided to just go as bonkers as we could. <laughs> and so, uh, like, we put a lot of, we practiced a lot, but we also put a lot of time into, like, theatrical effects. Like, right. we had this whole lighting rig that we made for our first <laughs> show. Um, I, in a shout out to one of my favorite bands, uh I bought like we bought um painters jumpsuits okay and like spray painted them because uh-huh. i was like oh they were like we should have some sort of costume and i was like oh well we could do like a devo jumpsuit gotcha. thing yeah so we got these jumpsuits on that and our last number we tore off to mm. reveal shirts and ties and we played um that thing you do from, <laughs> okay. from the movie of the same yeah game. yeah and so I had never really played I had played music in a comedy show, but I had never played music at a rock show before. Right. So at your previous like for the sketch show and for this uh for the Tesla show, you were sort of were you, you were like accompanying We were like accompanying a comedy, a comedy show. We yeah. were there as to like help the comedy show be better. Right. Which is fun and yeah, I yeah, enjoyed yeah. doing. But it was a very different experience to be there as the main event. Right. Of like, people are here to see us play music, not right. like, oh, we'll be playing music in addition to this comedy show. Right, right. Um, and we also, like, we were very loud as well. <laughs> and But we were also, like, having a blast. And it the audience was, like, nuts. That first um, Seriously Are You Ready to Rock show was, like, truly bonkers it was really really crazy and the it was at the pit loft and the manager there got really mad at us because we were super loud and we went way over time. yeah these are all places that are not really set up to have no, bands play no 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 absolutely <laughs> not um in fact we, i would imagine the acoustics are quite bad it, yeah <laughs> I, like there's video of that first show and all the sound sounds terrible <laughs> at the time i remember thinking i can't hear anyone yeah <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah um but then, so we we came back to play uh, the like championship, which we lost. Um, but also, that, at that point, we got known as like, oh, they're like a really crazy band yeah. of UCB guys, right? And so then we got we got hired to play the artistic director of UCB's bachelor party, <laughs> and then we. I mean, we don't get paid to do this, but like right. we got to play the party space at DCM for two years. Yeah, yeah. And that honestly is like one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Because we would just do these little like 20, 30 minute sets in front of an audience that was all of a lot of our friends right. and people who didn't know us, but were there to like it was su- it was usually Sunday night when we did it. And so they were hammered and they <laughs> were just ready to like party. It's like. Yeah, it's a group of 
deliriously tired, yeah, drunk, uh-huh. extremely supportive people. Yeah, and like <laughs> every like both times we did it, the audience just like, and like we made T-shirts and we're like throwing them out to the audience, <laughs> and everyone's just like screaming and dancing so cra- and like that the first one especially but as like those dcm ones really are like oh i totally get why people do this like, yeah not not just like because you can make money and because like oh it's a cool thing to do but like it is legitimately one of the most fun things i've ever done yes. in my life yeah yeah i think you might be a little disappointed if you played in like a regular <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is one of the reasons i remain a hobbyist musician because like Am I ever going to get that high that I got <laughs> playing at like DCM 20 where everyone's just like, yeah, it is like, a lot like comedy in that. Like I, I've played just truly awful shows, yeah. but then, but what's interesting for me, the, the thing, the place that I haven't gotten to is that I, I'm trying to think, I can't remember any experiences where I just had a completely miserable time playing music. Even like yeah. terrible shows, no people or be- like not even no people, but just like kind of a kind of a bad crowd, you know, yeah. like a kind of a, a hostile crowd. The actual like act of making the music is fun enough for me that like, you know, I, I've been in such weird situations, you know, uh, like one of the first tours I did with my noise rock band. We played in Harrisonburg, Virginia okay. at this like. It was in a house that was basically this size. Okay. The music room where the band. For, for reference, my house is very small. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what, and f- yeah, like, so it was like, it was in the middle of the week. It was like a Thursday, I think. Okay. This was in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which uh, is where uh, George, George Washington University is. Okay. Or All James right. Madison yeah. University. Sure. Some university named after, after a president. After a president. Okay. I think it's George Washington University. Okay. But so it's a college town. But it's like in a neighborhood. It's like it's like okay. uh, it's like one of these places yeah. where like there's a house, there's like three feet of grass, and there's another house, another house. and there's three yep. feet of grass. Uh-huh. Yeah. We this was on a Thursday. We got there kind of late because it was a far drive. But I was like texting our uh, the the promoter. I was like, hey, I'm gonna be there. We're gonna be there at like nine. I'm sorry we're running late, but you know we we can load right in and play the show, do whatever. We showed up at nine. It was a place about this size the music room where the band and all the audience was supposed to stand was just like this room oh no <laughs> yeah it was no. like it was like just the size of this room and it was like okay all right and then it was like we got there at nine there was like nobody there we're like okay okay cool and then it was like 11 o'clock the promoter was like all right we're gonna go to the, go get the pa now I'll be back in a little bit and i was like there are people that live around here like how are we gonna play at one o'clock in the morning and it went fine, okay. you know. Right. It went, it went fine. Like nobody complained. Mm-hmm. Like people showed up. We had a fun time. But, uh, but it was one of those things where, like, I think when there's weird elements going into like a comedy show, it just completely puts me in my head and sets me on edge. Yeah. With music, it's like even that. I was like, once we started playing, and I was just like up there with my friends, and like we had a really good set, and we had like kind of like really like gelled at that point, and I was like, this is great. Like, I could do this forever, even I, if it was all like this. I think there's also something I, – I keep thinking of, like, music, comedy comparisons. I also think the reason that uh, Seriously, Are You Ready to Rock show is so fun is that all comedians secretly want to be rock stars, and all rock stars secretly want to be comedians. I've heard this a lot, yes. I've heard this quite a lot. I, I firmly believe that's true. <laughs> uh-huh. But I'm, a, I'm also thinking, like, I've done so many improv shows where, like, nobody showed up yeah. or, like – 
uh, I used to, I've done a bunch of like touring uh, improv shows at like colleges, either right. through UCB or through this musical improv group called Baby Wants Candy. Yes. So you'll show sometimes you'll show up to a college and there's 400 kids and they're laughing at everything and it's great. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I re- I remember doing a show Baby Wants Candy where it was maybe it was a gym. It was like an airplane hangar. <laughs> right. And so there's like 2,000 seats. There's maybe three or 400 kids there, and they hate it. <laughs> right. Uh, but we're like, hey, we're doing the show. Yeah. And so I think there's the same sort of thing where, like, if you're a musician and you're playing a show and the audience fucking hates it, you're like, well, we're pl- now we're playing the show for us, for yeah. the band. Right. And I think it's the same thing in comedy. It's like if you start doing a comedy show and the audience hates it, you're like, well, we're going to make each other laugh. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Right, it's like, yeah. We're going to have our own, f- like, we do this because we like to do this. Right. So we're going to have fun whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. And I think, going back to the earlier point we were talking about, uh, it's like, I think that in turn ends up being the most successful, maybe not even in that show specifically, but that ends up being the most successful comedy. Yeah. Is like when you can be that comfortable and just do it, I think the audience picks up on that. Because I know I... The worst shows that I have doing comedy are the ones where I'm thinking about it too much. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just like on stage being like, well, I have to like do this and turn this way or I have to say something funny because I yeah. haven't in a while. And <laughs> like, that's I have to like, make these people laugh. And it's just like, that's death. That's that thought death of like, like, oh, I got to bring something funny is like, I guarantee <laughs> it's going to be bad. You know? Yeah, right. Uh, but like, if you're in an improv show and you're thinking to yourself, like, oh man, I'm going to make them break when I say this, <laughs> like, that I think is going to be a great impression. Yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I'm going to fuck with this dude. <laughs> uh, I think that is like that's where you need to be in a, in a comedy show. Right. Do you still perform with Baby Wants Candy? Uh, I don't. I I performed with them for years, and then they <laughs> it's a it's like a lot of groups where they have like a very long roster of people who has performed with them, mm-hmm. and I think they sort of gravitate to the people like. Oh, well, they did the last show, so just get them in. Because I was in there for a long time, and then right. I, my availability wasn't as good as it used to be. And so right. I just sort of fell out of the rotation, which was fine. I also started performing with the musical improv group at UCB, Rumple Teaser. Yes. So I was sort of already doing more musical improv, and I was like, oh, that's okay. Uh, and then I had to step down from Rumple Teaser to do my podcast. So right. it, it's also like, it's totally fine. <laughs> but Rumple Teaser was actually big for me. Cause oh, I man. I before seeing rumple teaser just based on nothing had a very hard opinion i was like i'm gonna hate musical oh f- like i thought the same thing because the first musical uh, improv i ever saw was baby wants candy right and they came to dcm this is probably like 2008 2009 and i was like i mean i'll go see it like people say it's good but i bet it's kind of stupid mm-hmm. and it was one of the funniest shows <laughs> i've ever seen uh and i was sitting next to chris scott who is on thank you robot right. and he's like you're gonna love this and so they're like, all we need is a title. And he's, and nobody said anything for like four seconds. And he yells out, H.G. Wells's Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. <laughs> and it was, I couldn't believe how well they nailed that title. Yeah. Because it was about a group of Victorian time travels who come to <laughs> modern day Las Vegas where nobody is impressed by them because it's Las Vegas. Uh-huh. And there's like a whole casino plot line. <laughs> and like at the end, somebody dies and the time travelers get in their time machine and like rewind time and redo the last scene to like say that person. I was like, Jesus, that was really good. <laughs> and it's like all these funny songs. I was like, couldn't believe how good it was. Yeah. What's funny is I think it's, 
I don't, I don't know what the prevailing opinion is. I think it may be considered a little hacky now. But when I was in middle school, before I knew anything about comedy, sure. I loved Whose Line Is It Anyway. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I watched it every day. I loved it so much. And I thought the music was great. Yeah. Oh, then, yeah. But then when I started like, doing comedy, I was like, well, I don't like musical theater. I'm not a musical <laughs> sure, theater yeah. guy. And I, I have nothing against it. I don't think it's bad. It's just like, it's hard for me to get into it. I, I get it. There's a, yeah. Yeah. The... the <laughs> The like learning curve on musical theater is like, yeah, you really got to be willing to stomach a certain amount of like ridiculousness. Yeah, I was like, I'm really not into it. I, I don't like. I would love to go to a Broadway show at some point, but just for the experience. You've never seen thing, any Broadway show. I've never seen a Broadway you show. Got, I, I will say, I went you, to the opera recently. That was cool. I you, I will say you got to see a Broadway show live. Yeah, because it's a very different experience. Right, but I was just like, yeah, I don't. I'm not into like musical theater, so I don't think I'm gonna like musical improv. And I saw it. It was great. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. It was like so funny. Mm-hmm. And the music, I remember sometime, some, uh, I'm I, blanking on who said this, but I remember sometime, it might have been a comedy person on like the UCB podcast, but okay. somebody was, was describing music, like musicals. Actually, you know who I think it was? It was, I believe, Anthony King. Okay. Yeah. Talking on a podcast one time. It may have been his podcast. I don't remember. A writer of musicals. Right, writer of musicals. But he was talking about musicals, and he he described it as like the reason you use music is because the emotions have become so heightened that they can't be expressed through words. And I never got that until he said it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this makes way more sense now. That is a big part of learning musical improv is to like – to set up the songs, you have to establish like what do these characters care about, or like what is the focus of the story, so that when you get to the song, it's just basically playing a character game about something that is really important to them. Right, and that's like sort of how it works. It's funny you mentioned Anthony King because, uh, pretty early on in my time in New York, he wrote a musical called Gutenberg the Musical. Yes, yeah. That my friend, a friend of mine from college who was living in New York had seen and was like, you have to come see this with me. So I saw it with her, her seeing it again, me seeing it for the first time. Right. And it was it was part of the New York Musical Theater Festival. Mm-hmm. And it was, have you ever seen it? I've never seen it. It is so funny. I've heard about it's it a lot. It's really, really funny. And it just made us, we were dying laughing because it's, the idea is that it's two guys who really want to write a musical and they write a, an entire musical about the life of Johann Gutenberg <laughs> only knowing like the first two lines of his Wikipedia entry yeah, uh, that he was born in Schlimmer, Germany and he invented the printing press <laughs> and they Im- like it, it is so, so funny. It's really insane. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I've heard of, I, I used to listen to Anthony King's podcast a lot. Yeah, I've heard sure. them talk a lot about it. What's always been interesting to me about him and that that musical was hearing the story about like it started off as like a thirty minute show that he was just doing for UCB. Yeah, just to get a show up at UCB. Totally. And like a lot of the a lot of the conventions in the show are based on not having a budget. Yeah, like they don't have costumes. They have hats. Always wearing hats. Yeah. They like as they change character, they just put on a different hat that has Mm -hmm. like the name of the person on Mm -hmm. it or something. So they're just constantly changing hats instead of changing costumes. Yeah just based on like not having a budget working on a restricted timeline but what's what's interesting to me is yeah just hearing about like it was just something he did just to get a show up at ucb and then it was like it did so well that he was like well i'll expand it and make i think it into that's like the a version po- i saw like the hour-long version yeah it was like yeah. it was originally like yeah like a 30-minute show uh, just a sketch show and then it was like well, he likes musicals, so he made it a musical show. And then it was like, yeah. And then he just expanded it and made it an hour-long show. And then it was just like, 
oh well now people are like trying to buy it and put on their own productions of it and now it's like a the, you know a musical that people yeah. all over the world like put on i mean it's a great if you had like two you know two people who are like funny and like wanted to do it it's like a perfect college production because it costs no money <laughs> right like you don't need to do sets you don't need to do costs it's just a bunch of hats and then like someone to play the music and two people yeah but you could also have other people play the you could have a cast of four sure but like it's really funny with two people and so like you don't need a lot which yeah is it, it was also cool to just because uh you know something i struggle with is not like starting projects because i'm just sure. like yeah i have this idea and then i'm like well i don't know if it'll go the way i want it to or like i don't know what i'm trying to do with it and yeah. what was cool about hearing his story that i've taken from it is like I don't think he intended to write it our hour and a half musical yeah. that will be performed all around the world by theater company. It was just sort of like, well, I have this idea. I'm going to do this. And then it was just sort of like, you, you can't really ever know how things are going to take off. Yeah. I imagine that's probably what's kind of like with, with your podcast mission to Zix a, a little bit. Yeah. Like it wasn't, I, I, I mean, obviously you were intending to create something, but you know, did you, you have this improvised sci-fi podcast called yeah. Mission to Zix. Um, and when you were, uh, was it just something fun to do at first? Was it, was it were you intending it, to make it into a bigger thing? Or? It, originally, when we did it was um, Alden Ford, who is one of the main characters on that podcast. Uh, he and I had done comedy stuff together for a long time. And he had a show right after mine at The Beast. So we would hang mm -hmm. out and see each other a right. lot at, at UCB East. And he was like, hey, man, are you listening to this podcast, uh, Magic Ta Hello from the Magic Tavern? Okay, yeah. Which is a bunch of Chicago improvisers. Right. And it's like a normal interview podcast, except it's set in like a fantasy <laughs> tavern in like a Dungeons and Dragons sort of universe. Right. Uh, and it's really, really funny. Mm -hmm. uh, and we both got into it hard. Right. And we were just like, God, it was su that's such a great idea. Like, man, that's really funny. Like, we And we were sort of like, we should do something like this. But, like, well, we don't want to do what they did. So, like, how would we make our version of a, like, of a comedy, improvised comedy podcast where we could play with, like, genre stuff? Right. And Alden is one of the biggest Star Wars fans I've ever met. And I'm a huge, I like Star Wars, too, but I'm a big, big Star Trek right. guy. And we were like, oh, it would be cool to do that within that framework. And we started just bringing in other people we knew who were fans of that stuff or, or just good voice actors or comedy people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we kind of just made it to be like, oh, can we even do this? Like, is this like uh, we ended up with having six people and then we have a guest. So it's like seven people in the recording room. Right. Like, this might be a total mess. <laughs> right. And on and we recorded like three sample episodes just to be like, is, will this work at all? Right. And it took us a while to make them. But then we, we got one that we were like, oh, this kind of good right and we managed to get uh a podcast network that was like well we'll give you a little money to like make a season of it mm -hmm. and like all of that money went into like <laughs> the making Production, of it yeah. but it we ended up with something that we were like really proud of because I, and i think this is common both with music and with improv we're like so i've been doing improv for like 13 years right there are not a there's not a lot of physical evidence that that is true right like <laughs> I, I've done truly probably a thousand shows. Right. And maybe 10 of them you can see. Sure. Like maybe they're on YouTube or there's a copy of them somewhere. Yeah. But it is hard to prove that I have done that. Right. 
Whereas making a podcast is like, well, we put a ton of work into this podcast, but now it's here. There's 60 episodes. You can listen to it forever. Right. Uh, or until the planet burns to death. You're right. You can't yeah, listen yeah. to things anymore. Right. Um, but it's at least like, we put a lot of work in this, but <laughs> there's like evidence that we right. did that. Right, right, right. And I feel like music is like, you know, you tour, you do live shows. Yeah. And you're like, these shows are good, but no, in theory, if there's no video or anything, nobody knows that this happened. Yeah, the idea of touring is like, you have to do it enough so that like, by the time you go back, people remember who you yeah. are. Because like, you could do a two-week tour and like, hit all these venues on the east coast and then you're like well let's go to texas and you hit people up in texas like i have no idea who you yeah, are yeah it was like, like we don't know i, I have We're, no reason to book you. yeah and you're like fair uh-huh. yeah sure yeah i yeah. get it I, I think that's i think you're going back to like anthony king and then like yeah, the yeah. mission is x it's like i think that's such an important lesson of like i and i say this mostly because i had to learn this lesson and i'm still learning it it's a- like everybody has to learn you this can't lesson. plan it all out no. You have to just, like, if you have a fun idea and you're motivated enough to make it, you just got to do it. And, like, in, in whatever way it makes the most sense. Like, don't, you know, you don't necessarily, like, take out a loan to, like, make your web series Yeah, or don't something. go crazy. But, but, like, if you have this idea, like, I think you just have to make it and put it out there and kind of whatever happens, happens. It's also true that, like, both in comedy and both in music, um, I should have said both in comedy and music. <laughs> right, yeah. You know what I'm saying. Sure. Uh that like having restrictions make forces you to become more creative. Yeah. Like if Anthony King is like, well, I don't have money to do this. I can't afford to have all these actors in it. I'll just make it two people and there will a bunch of hats. Right. right? And it's kind of the same thing with music where like, if you have like bands tip in my experience, do not make better music once they have access to like a huge studio. Yeah. And, like, you know, uh, like really slick producers. Like, I don't think that makes bands better no i can think of m- literally maybe a couple like yeah. a handful of bands that i think have gotten better as they get further in and that's a that's a stereotype of like hipsters of like they always like the first album or the demo better right but, but like, there is sort of like this idea of like yeah well the first thing they made was like purely that, passion yeah and like that was that's what's good about their music yeah you know yeah. it's like that's what people are initially attracted to and then later albums they're trying to do something different and you're like well i'm not interested in this. <laughs> right yeah yeah and and sure you could you could end up in the ACDC world where like essentially you're just making the same record right. over and over again, right. um, but also it's like you listen to early stuff and it's like yeah there's a lot of creative stuff in there yeah you yeah, know? Um, but like yeah I think forcing yourself to have some restrictions or or to like oh well what if we try to do this or this as opposed to like let's put everything in here right makes a better makes better music or makes better comedy yeah i I was just talking uh so a friend of mine is a teacher at a montessori school in wisconsin okay and he's talking about bringing me out to his school to to run like an improv workshop for his students oh cool um this is an old college roommate of mine um and oh boy why did i bring this up oh right so he he tried to do his own sort of comedy workshop with them last year Mm -hmm. uh based on like the onion you know of like oh write like an onion headline right right Uh, and then we like write the story and like they sort of some of them got it and were turned out very funny stuff um and then some of them like didn't fully get the concept of the onion that it's like satirical news they would be like oh i'm like a wacky newsman and he's like no 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 no. it's but i'm like the onion is like 
in many ways is like sort of comedy minimalism where mm-hmm. like we only exist in the very specific voice of like local like right. ju- print journalism yeah and now they do video stuff that expands it a little yeah, bit but yeah. like originally the onion is like it's the voice of like your local newspaper mm-hmm. uh talking about things in a satirical way right and i think that's hard for like an 11 year old to like really wrap their head around of like right. this is one of the tightest bottlenecks you could put <laughs> on writing comedy yeah but they like that format now is pretty established you can do a lot with it but there are things you can't do with that format right and i think it's a little tricky to teach that way yeah yeah i think like that is so true because i think when you have there's like a real at least i experience it like real like decision paralysis if you have infinite options yeah Uh uh-huh you're like well i could do all of these things so you know especially in 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 me like i'm like I'm like, well, now I got to figure out what's the best option before I do any of them. Yeah. And so it's like, there is something very liberating about like, no, I have to do this one thing. Yeah. I got it. Like the, you, I can do this one thing in a lot of different ways. And I got to figure that out, but I, I know I'm but doing know this I'm one doing thing. This thing. Yeah. yeah. And so, and that's where the creativity comes from. It's yeah. Like, well, now I focus on this, but I can think of all these different ways in which right. to do the one thing. But even just knocking out all of those other things you could do, but you're like, well, I'm not going to do that this time. I'm yeah. going to do this one thing. It, it narrows your focus enough where you can get started. Right. And like, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised there's not more, because I know like Baby Wants Candy just started a regular New York show. Yeah. That's something I've been trying to figure out how to get into. It's like playing music for improv shows. Because a lot of improv in New York is just piano accompaniment. Yeah. But I, I think as far, I haven't seen the New York show recently but i believe they have like a full band a lot of a lot of the touring baby shows i would do would have a full band yeah that they would call the yes band right let's (laughs) give them some credit for that (laughs) that's That's pretty pretty good good. that's pretty good uh i'm surprised there's not more i mean there's certainly an element of that like i know the magnet theater has like a whole half of their school like their musical program is much stronger than ours is what i'm surprised by is that there's not more comedy music that I I've thought the same thing where it's like name comedy music acts and people are like oh they're amazing like everybody loves Lonely Island yes everybody loves Flight of the Concords mm-hmm. um, Garfunkel and Oates Garfunkel and Oates it's like there's a lot of really funny there's a really good uh, New York comedy group called Reformed Whores oh yeah and they I've sing like them. funny yeah, country yeah. music yeah. it's like comedy music is really good but i think there's not as much of it because it is hard right. to do well uh but i also think there's not a lot of venues like to do comedy music at an open mic is viewed as i think a little hacky especially in new york yeah maybe in la you have a little more latitude to do something like that um but also to do like prepared comedy music at an improv theater feels a little bit like well, okay yeah it's funny like i think it's this weird there's this weird dynamic between and something I I've noticed like being in New York there's a very weird wide gulf between I think live entertainment and then like the online world. Yeah. In uh-huh. terms of like what people like, what people do. Yeah. Cuz there's a ton of comedy music online. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cuz there's this weird thing of like there's this weird uh, and, and having done both now comedy and music there's yeah. this weird divide of like and some and, and i had that divide for a long time but it's like 
you can't go to a rock show and play comedy music. Yeah. Because they're going to hate it. Yeah. You can be kind of funny on stage a little bit, and they'll tolerate it to a point. Like, I think, like, Kurt Cobain was very funny on stage. Yeah. But the songs are not funny. Have you ever seen The Darkness? Yes. So Darkness is legit one of my favorite bands. Yeah, I didn't see I mean I didn't see them live, but I, I you know their their yeah. lead singer is hysterical. Yeah. He's really, really good at banter. Right. But also they're a great band. Sure. But part of the joy of seeing their shows is like it's fun. And yeah. he's funny. Yeah. Devo. Very Devo, fun. Devo very and funny. funny, like offbeat kind of band. And their live shows are funny. Yeah. But they were yeah, it's it's this weird thing where like and, and but they're not doing expressly comedic no, music. No, no, no. And but here's a good example of the reverse is uh the comedy music act that I forgot to mention that everyone also loves, Tenacious D. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I saw Tenacious D last fall. They played King's Theater and they fucking ruled. I'd never yeah. seen them before. They were so great. But their opener was just two guys playing acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And the songs weren't funny. Right. And they had s- kind of funny banter. Mm-hmm. But it was like the opener should either be comedy music, which I, is sort of stealing Tenacious C's Thunder a little right. or like just have a comic do it. Yeah. Because these guys were just like, their music was fine. Right. But uh, it, it just didn't feel right. Where like just playing regular music at a comedy show is wrong, mm-hmm. and and playing and doing comedy at a music show is wrong. Paul F. Tompkins has a whole bit about he his friends were in a band and they had him open by doing stand up at a at their rock show. I've heard of this before with o- other people, and it's just like the audience was just like, Boo! yeah, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no kidding, that's not what you're here for. Yeah, yeah. I the the one time I've seen that work was maybe it was just like. Because there were so many people's, I went to Bonnaroo in two thousand nine. Okay, I went twice, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I don't remember which year it was. Okay. I think it was two thousand nine. But uh, right before on the main stage, where like you know there would be like sixty to eighty thousand people piled in front of it. Um, right before Metallica went on, okay, Chris Rock came out and did like a thirty minute set on a huge stage. But I think it's also dependent on the comedian, I think, because Chris Rock, very good in front of a unbelievably huge crowd. Yeah. Well, and also, like, just the excitement of seeing Chris Rock yes. is enough to, like, make that, even if you're not interested in comedy at that moment, right. you still have to be like, oh, it's Chris Rock. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that cool. works. It was like, he came out, the 30-minute set, you know, and he's really good at, at getting the crowd hyped up and stuff like that. He's and then, also famously a dude, like when he does his own stand-up tours, he goes for like two hours. Right. So 30 minutes for him is like, I'm going to do the standing on my head. Yeah, just and play the hits. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, and no so problem. he just really got the crowd hyped up, and then Metallica came on. And, you know, that kind of works. But yeah, it, it would be weird, I think, if you were just going to like a punk show, and somebody came out and just like did their tight five. Yeah, like, what is this? Weird, like, I, right? I yeah, it's very strange. Like the how hard those lines are drawn yeah so i i I think what i'm hearing is if we want more comedy music we have to create the space for comedy i think so i it's weird to me that it's not more prevalent because there are like the people that do it well and the people that are known for it tenacious d lonely island all these bands they are huge they're very popular like insane people sing their songs all the time tenacious d i mean i saw them at king's theater which is a huge theater yeah. in brooklyn and yeah. it was totally still like it was three thousand four thousand it's capacity. something yeah. like that i just saw a bikini kill there i saw uh, and and yeah it's like three thousand cap or something. like a month before i saw david burns american <laughs> utopia right 
and which was also great. But like, yeah, it was packed, and people were losing their minds at the show. Yeah, I and mean, I, and you are sort of, admittedly they've been around for like twenty years. Yeah. But, uh, like I also saw Flight of the Concords at um, wow, what's the name of that venue? <laughs> uh, uh, it's out in Queens. It's like a big stadium. Oh, uh, Forest Hills. Forest Hills. Forest okay, Hills. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I saw them, and that was also at least a couple thousand people. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, you know, Lonely Island. I mean, p- like, p- like oh, they could probably sell out MSG. I yeah, feel like, like right? yeah. I mean, like, just like every like bro on every college campus can probably sing all of their at songs. Least, like, at least the hits. You yeah, know? yo, yeah. It's, but it's, also, as a comedy nerd, those songs are funny. They're super good. Not it's, all of them. They got a couple of duds. But yeah, like, it's fascinating to me that it's just like there's the few. And then it's just like, I don't know if maybe it's just a quality issue or it's just like, I don't know why there's not more. Because, you know, as we've talked about, I think there is, at least in philosophy and just in general creativity, a lot of similarity between playing music, doing comedy. It's it's so both of them have so much to do with timing, to do with like surprise, to do with like. And by surprise, I mean sort of defying your audience's expectations. Right. Where if you just give them what they want over and over again, they get bored. Right. But when you surprise them, they're sort of delighted. Yeah. You know, um, there's so many similarities in in how they operate on a very base level. Yeah. That I am surprised it's not a bigger aspect of comedy or music. Right. You know. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I would love to try to do more of it because it just seemed like there's. It's one of those things like I feel now like like you said like getting into comedy at 30 it does i i know but it's not insanely late it's not insanely late no and and it it was good for me when i first started that i very early on was aware of the presence of will hines who (laughs) also started when he was 30 and became like a very like popular person at ucb and now it's like a professional like comedy writer and actor and well and it's a bunch of stand-ups since like uh like bob newhart didn't start till right. later in life and like and jim gaffigan i don't think started until he was like late 20s or 30s yeah. doing stand-up yeah it's not insanely late it also is like starting at 30 and also like just the like the day and age that we're in yeah it's sort of like whenever we are I a little have more youth focused <laughs> well it's like yeah. yeah whenever i have an idea i'm like i feel like this has been done before yeah. like it doesn't feel new but it but the comedy music thing when i think about it is like there's a lot of untouched it feels space. like it yeah yeah, because I'm. I think about comedy music, and you're like, well, Lonely Island sort of touched a little bit on like with Pop Star, which is a seriously underrated comedy movie. Yes. Uh, yeah, it absolutely. Sort of touched on the pop space, but there's not a lot like that. No. Uh, not and at all. like pop music is so ripe for parody, and there's not a ton. Yeah. And then like Metalocalypse is like the only thing I can think of in like the funny metal genre right there's like little things. there's little there, things like there's a live show in new york i think it's still running called two minutes to late night which is a I don't know that. it's a comedy late night show it's once a month or once every two months or so. it's like a, a it's it's a late night show they do it at a i believe they still do it at either brooklyn bazaar or st vitus which are like okay. metal clubs yeah, yeah yeah but it's like a late night show but hosted by like a death metal guy Oh, I have seen this. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay. So it's, you know, so it's like it is a comedy show by, metal, but there's like little tinges of that. Yeah, but it just feels like there should be more. It feels like it. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, as somebody whose main creative outlet is comedy. Yeah, 
and I know you like do writing, you do other stuff sure, like sure, comedy sure. writing. But so, as somebody whose main like creative focus, even in like you know your writing and stuff like that, is is comedy. Do you feel like being a musician has benefited you? I think so. Do you think it's like either helped your comedy or at least like just overall in your like as a creative person? Like, do you feel I, like it's been beneficial to you? I think creatively, you're benefited by being into more than just the thing like your main thing yeah like and i see this a lot in in com like because i teach improv right and so i i have a lot of students who who are young so it's y you know sort of there's still plenty of time for them to get interested <laughs> in other things right but a lot of times i have comedy students who i can tell are huge comedy nerds mm -hmm. which is great because yeah. then they already know the rhythms of comedy right. and like they sort of know like set up punch and like all, all of this sort of uh, uh, language of comedy that helps them a lot. Right. But what they don't know is everything outside of comedy. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I can't tell you how many terrible office scenes I've had to watch sure. in an improv class. And then I have to stop it and go, um, so you've never worked in an office. <laughs> like, no, I haven't. Right. Right. And I actually think that's sort of important that you expand your, uh, your experience with the world as much as you can because knowing mm -hmm. comedy is great but it's better if you know things that people are going to be able to relate to <laughs> <laughs> right yeah 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 and so like even even uh, anything you can add to your experience and, and I think knowing comedy like helps you know uh, would help with music as well it's like there's there's no reason as a creative person to limit yourself to just one thing yeah the that the that's broader I yeah i was gonna say that's something i struggle with just because i just go crazy on stuff when i first start them or, oh, or like get into them so i'm like yeah when i started improv i was like all right well i guess i have to stop playing music and like devote my life to improv <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you know because it's just like it, you know i always have this terrible thing of like well if i do two things then I won't be good at either of them. You know, like I just, and I totally understand that viewpoint where it's like, <laughs> well, if I want to be the best at this, I should just do only this. Right. And there is, I will say, certainly there is no substitute for like practice. Yeah, putting in time. It's or, like, you, know. you have to put in time, but you don't have to just do that one thing. When <laughs> right. I was just starting to do comedy uh, in New York, I also got really into uh, roller derby. Okay. I was a referee for the uh, Gotham Girls Roller Derby. Oh, cool. The, the big women's roller derby league here in yeah. New York City, which is still a very popular league uh, nationwide. Um, and I don't know that, that that probably, if anything, hurt my comedy career. <laughs> I could have been spending a lot more time doing uh, comedy stuff, but I was like, you know, six or seven times a month, I was at this practice space in Queens. Right. Uh, like learning how to skate, learning how to be a ref. Um, and like, I don't know that that's an experience that has had any powerful impact on my comedy or on my music, but I do think it's made me a more well-rounded person because sure. I met all these people. I had never really done anything with sports before in my life. Right. Uh, other than like T-ball as a kid. Right. And like, if for sort of the first time in my life, I was having like, oh, this is what it means to be athletic and to like truly be in shape. Right. And I was like, I don't know that that's helped my comedy or my music, but I think it's helped me as a human being. Sure, <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it just made 
it sort of opened up my connection with my body a little bit more. Right. And so I, I think that to me is like, you just don't know what you're going to get out of an experience. Right. So learning music is going to make connections in your mind that were not there before. So then when you do comedy later, they're still there. Right. And like, I still, I don't know, you know, what the average roller skating ability <laughs> of the standard New Yorker is. Right. But in most rooms, I know that like, well, I'm the best roller skater. <laughs> in this room. Right. So that's just something that I learned <laughs> not without significant cost to my own body <laughs> right yeah, yeah but like that taught me about my own physicality and my own body in a way that like doing comedy would not have taught me right and so there are there's benefits from doing anything that you won't know until you learn how to do it sure and then integrate it with your experience yeah totally i've also found that having another creative option has been helpful in just that like if there's ever a time where i can't just for physical reasons like i'm i'm somewhere else i'm not at home or whatever or like or just i'm just like not in the mood i'm kind of like it's like i can switch gears yeah it'd be like well i need to be creative but i can't like go play music right now i don't have my bass guitar yeah i don't have my bass or i don't have my band or whatever it's like but i'm on the train and i have this idea I can just be like write or something. Yeah, you know, be creative and just like keep the juices flowing all the time. That is the other reason I think it's important because if you only focus on music, if you only focus on comedy, and especially those two, there is a lot of heartbreak associated <laughs> with with really anything in entertainment. Like yeah. you're guaranteed to have a moment where you're like, "This is so painful, I want to quit." And like it's I, yeah, I would say both of those are mostly rejection. Yeah, and so there are going to be times where you just experience some sort of professional rejection yeah. and you're like, Oh, I really don't want to do this right now. Right. But I think anyone who's doing creative stuff sort of needs to do it on some level. And so you don't have to do music. Even if you're like hating it, you can be like, you know what? I'm going to step back. I'm going to do dance or I'm going to paint or whatever creative thing you do. Right. But you can like put it on hold for a second and then come back to it when it's not quite so painful for you to do Yeah. It. Because, like, everybody I know at UCB has had some audition where they just walked out of there and went, oh, God, what did I do in there? Yeah, yeah. And you sort of need to take a little break from improv. Right, <laughs> and yeah. it's nice to have something else you can do that's not just, like, binging TV, which feels sort of useless, <laughs> you know? It's like, well, playing music at least feels like, oh, that's an outlet, you know? Like, that's that's creative, and that's, like, productive for your mind. Even if nothing comes out of it, just the act of doing it or just being creative. That, and that's what I'm saying is, like, that that is better for your mind than, you know, nothing. Right. right? Like, watching TV, like, we all, listen, we all got to watch TV sometimes. Sure. But I think if you make music the thing you turn to first, you're going to get a lot more out of it mentally and, and just in terms of your own satisfaction like i'm a very bad guitar player mm -hmm. uh i'm i'm like a kid in high school who has had like six months of lessons <laughs> about right. where i am with the guitar yeah um but uh every once in a while i get sort of a wild hair up my ass and i'm like I'm going to try to learn this song. Mm -hmm. And like, depending on how hard the song is, I might not be able to do it. But some songs you're like, oh, wow, this is not that complicated a song. Right. And then you like have learned a song. Right. 
uh, I recently had this experience. You know the song September Girls by Big Star? Yeah, 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 sure. It's a great song. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this doesn't sound too hard. I was like, I wonder if I could learn this. And I learned it in like 15 minutes. Yeah. And then, and now, anytime I am by a guitar, I can pick <laughs> it up and play September Girls for myself. Right. A yeah, song yeah, that yeah. I love. Right. And it's like, it it feels like a magic spell that I can cast at any time. <laughs> if I have a guitar, it's like, ah, I'm just going to play this for me because I love the sound of it. Right. Yeah. And it's nice. Yeah, I just read this book by uh, Questlove, actually. Oh, is I, this? I, I think it's called Creative Quest. Yeah, I've been meaning to read that. I picked it up in an airport, and you know, because it's a pretty thin, short read, and I was like, "This looks cool." I I didn't yeah. even know he had put it out. I just saw it, and I was like, "This looks cool." And I love Questlove. I, I, I mean, think sure. you know everything. You know, not only his output, but just like you know, a lot of his like views on stuff and his his outlook on life. I think yeah. is so cool. So I read it and he talks about that. I'm just like, you know, just the importance of being creative every day. Yeah. And it's like, you got to Like he was talking about at one point about like he, you know, he DJs, you know, I mean, he plays music and then he DJs, which is, I have same been world, but like, se- but different. It, it's, it's the same world, but it is, it is a different thing to do. I have been to a party DJed by Questlove. Yeah. And I have to say, I've been, you know, I've lived in New York for almost 14 years. Yeah. And I've been to a lot of parties with a lot of DJs. Sure. He is one of the best DJs I have ever I'd have to imagine, yeah. He he makes cuts between songs where you're like, whoa! <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> right. isn't that the joy of DJing? Of yeah. Like, I'm going to take you from this song, and then you're, you would never put these two songs together, but it works, and you're like, Aah! Yeah, totally. And it's great. And he also talks about, like, he, uh, in recent years, like, he called, you know, he, you know, obviously he's famous. He has a lot of famous sure, friends or whatever, yeah. but he, he, he talked about like, he started putting together dinner parties of famous chefs and he would invite famous chefs over and have, you know, have them cook or put, you know, put together something yeah, yeah. and just talk to them about food. And he's like, it's the same, you know, he's yeah. like, and, and just talking to other people about their art and their craft. And he developed a, you know, appreciation for like the art of food and all that stuff. And he's like, and he makes the point of the book of like, this is all connected, and it's all being creative and and appreciating all these things in life. I think I think when you get to, because uh, I remember when I first started taking improv classes in New York, there was sort of a big divide between the three, of like UCB Pitt Magnet. Right. It was like, oh, you sort of like don't mess with the other schools. Right, like, right, right, right. You only take classes at one. Sure. And now that has largely sort of disappeared. I think People so, kind yeah. of bounce, which I think is great. Um. But because and and all the schools have sort of different philosophies, but I also think improv when you get to a certain level, everyone's doing the same thing. Right. Like regardless of what you learned, like you're all trying to work together. Mm-hmm. You might approach it a little bit differently, but I don't think it's that different. Right. But to Questlove's point, I think when you progress a little bit further along, just creatively, all all disciplines are functionally trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Of like improv, of music, of food, which is right. something that like when I moved to New York, I was the pickiest eater in the world. <laughs> and New York sort of forces you to become more interested in food because yeah. there's so much good food here. Yeah. And you're always away from your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cook. And yeah. and like eventually, you know, if you're just somebody who eats chicken fingers all the time, you're mm-hmm. just gonna get sick of it. Right, right. And so like you start to sort of open up your world. Like I remember this is years ago, but I remember when I first was like what's this Thai food? <laughs> and then you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Just eating it all the time. And like, I just recently had that experience with, um, 
for years I was like, oh, I don't like eggs. I'm like, it's a weird texture to me. Oh, like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. sure. And then, like, something in the past year snapped, and now I'm, like, making eggs all the time. And right. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do, like, an omelet. And it's like, oh, now I'm going to uh, see if I can make it like this and like that. And I'm uh, putting all these different things in it. But it's, like, fun. <laughs> it's being creative with food, which right. is, like, not something I had ever really experienced. And now I'm like, oh, I totally get being a chef. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Right, totally. Within the context of being an imp- uh, improviser or being a musician, it's like, it's the same thing. Right. You're just working with different materials. Totally. But the, re- the goal is to, like, oh, make this cool thing for people to enjoy. Right. Well, I think that's a great spot to wrap up. Uh, Feels good to th- me. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Eric, I really appreciate it. It was a great pleasure. Um, and hopefully we can uh, figure out how to make some comedy music. We <laughs> got What we got to do is make a comedy music show. Yes. And then we can make comedy music, but then other people will bring their comedy music to yeah. the show. I love it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm down. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> All right, bye-bye.